You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that breaks down the box art trailers behind the scenes. Even though we own them, we pretend to rent them. Matt, what is number two in our Stephen King October? We are moving on to 1990s Graveyard Shift. Stephen King invites you to venture deep inside the caverns below the old Bachman Mill. You're not thinking about going down in there. Where a secret lies long forgotten by any living soul. Just ain't no job worth this. The workers suspected. You can't put me down there. You can't put anybody down there. I know things. The owner denies it. What did happen to the fellow that started this job? It didn't work out. And everyone fears it. This place is infested. That might be the understatement of the year. Broken? Because one by one, it will devour them all. We're like shrimp in an all-you-can-eat salad bar, and that thing ain't stopping till it's full. Must be some other way out of here. It's fucked! This isn't real. This is the new horror from the mind of Stephen King. Graveyard Shift. Good benefits, early retirement. Good graveyard, I'm scared. Yeah, 1990s Graveyard Shift. Looks like it's from 1985, however. I know, it's very odd. Uh, it's got that... It does have the uncomfortable 90s feel, though. The early 90s that we talk about all the time where everyone's sweaty and gross. Yeah, it's like a combination. This is definitely a transition movie because it it does have the sweaty hot of the 90s with the like very almost just gritty film look of the 80s. Yeah, I agree. It, It really gives off that look. Did you ever see this before we decided to stick it in? Yeah, I've seen this a couple times. I mean, with a cover like this and being... Like, uh, you know, a 10-year-old like I was, I definitely picked this one up a few times from the video store. Uh, I was a huge Stephen King nerd as a kid, too, so I saw every Stephen King movie uh, that came out on TV or on video or whatever. So, yeah, I definitely picked this one up before, and then now I since own it on DVD. I had never seen it before this, but I do remember seeing this on the shelves of the video store. I just... Don't know why I didn't rent it. It seems like something my brothers and I would definitely would have picked up. I mean, this is a kick-ass cover. Yeah, it's, it's really good. But it is it is kind of a sleeper where it's it's not one that everybody's seen. And people know what it is, but not a lot of people have actually picked up the movie. And I feel like they all kind of say the same thing. I don't know why, but I've never seen that movie. <laughs> well, maybe it's because it had no word of mouth. You know, it wasn't traveling through our little weird circuits when we were kids in the uh, in the playground. It's true. There's nothing. I mean, we'll get to it when we get to the movie, but there's nothing particularly shocking or 
something we've never seen before in the movie. So that's probably why. It was just like just one of those 80s, 90s horror movies that sits on the shelf, gets some life, but nothing special. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into the quick facts of this. Graveyard Shift was released October 26, 1990. That was 28 years ago. Yeah. It's as old as me. <laughs> and an actual movie that was close to being released on Halloween. Yeah, this was this must have been a big deal that Paramount was putting it out around the time of the Friday the 13th movies and coming out on around Halloween. They must have, haven't seen King's name on it, they must have thought this was going to be a thing. Well, they spent $10.5 million in uh, production cost on this. It, it made eleven point five, so it made its money back, but it certainly didn't set the world on fire. It was a number one film in the box office its first week, though. I believe that, because it's Halloween. Everybody wants to see the horror movies in October. I, I'd still fall for it today. Yeah, I'll probably be seeing Venom this week. It's not really a horror movie, but it's the only monster movie out this week. Yeah, we'll see how that... We're not going to get into that. <laughs> uh, it was produced and distributed by Paramount Pictures, which is interesting. Uh, at least I couldn't find the other production company, so I assume it was all in-house. Probably. They had a hit with Pet Cemetery the year before, so they were probably just like, what other Stephen Th- King thing we get our hands on now? <laughs> well, we got a short story. Fuck it, do it. Yeah, we can, we can kick this out in a year, right? <laughs> yeah, speaking of the short story, it was based on the short story of the same name by Stephen King, and then it was put into a collection called The Night Shift. Oh, yeah, I remember The Night Shift uh, yeah. collections. Yeah, and we actually own a lot of the stories that became movies in The Night Shift, because you own The Mangler. Yes. I own Trucks. Yes. I think one of us own, owns Lawnmower Man. I do. Yes. Uh, I have Children of the Corn, and I also have Sometimes They Come Back. Wow. Yeah. They were, they were just It's like they threw that book on the ground, whatever page it landed on, they were like, this is the movie we're making now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can stretch it. You find a way! <laughs> yeah, right? And I think in most of these movies, you're like, nah, this shouldn't have been stretched. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was directed by Ralph S. Singleton. Uh, he was mostly just known for production manager and producer. He didn't really direct much other than this, so I don't know why they chose him. I don't know if they were just desperate well he's a producer on the movie he might have just been like i want to direct this one yeah (laughs) this is my shot to direct now i noticed you know he had some titles in his production uh, another 48 hours cagney and lacy no big deal who cares but then i caught that he co-produced clear and present danger oh there he is yeah some jack ryan making a comeback damn right the screenplay was written by john esposito I, I knew I knew this guy's name, and I could not figure it out. Did a little bit of research, and he's the guy who wrote and produced the uh, web series for The Walking Dead when it first came out. I think it was between the first and second season, because, you know, the first season yeah. was so short they had to fill. And I remember him talking about winning the awards for it. But, you know, really, he hasn't done a lot since. Interesting. Yeah. Even though they won awards for that Web, is, web series? Is that what yeah. they call them? Webbies? Whatever. Whatever. I don't watch any shit. <laughs> anyway, that's all I got for this on the quick facts, so let's let Matt here break down the box art. So this box is hella dope. <laughs> um, it's really cool. It's Stephen King's Graveyard Shift is at the top in a cool red font. 
with the white Stephen King letters. And then we get a totally black box with a skull with one eye and a helmet on with the little flashlight on top. The flashlight is illuminated, like facing towards us, and there's a little bit of blood dripping from the flashlight. This, and that's all it is. This is all you need to sell a movie. This is a great, great cover. Yeah, the European cover is really good too, where it shows a person's like head is half covered in water and their mouth is open and all the rats are flooding in. Nice. That's so awesome. They did a great job on the US or the North American and the European. So good job, artists. Good job. Yeah, I think if I would have seen I think this is as far as my knowledge, which, you know, I don't do research or anything like that, but I think my, my knowledge is this was the poster as well for the movie. Okay. Theatrically. So, I mean, great. Just good good call there. Because I would see this poster in a theater and be like, yep, need to see it. Okay, so if you had to make up the story of this movie in your head just looking at the box art, what would you think? I would think Miners. I would I would think something about the eyes and the skull, I don't know why, makes me think it's like a slasher movie. Because like the eye is looking at me, so I feel like they're, you know... It's supposed to be somewhat relatable. So I think kids, I think slasher movie. I think I think this movie's going to be my bloody Valentine, basically, when I look at the cover. I was hoping, before I knew anything about this, I was hoping this was basically a bloody Valentine ripoff. Right. That's what I get the impression of with the cover. I was hoping we had a murderous zombie-like creature in a mine just hacking people to death that were working the graveyard shift. Well, here's what we got. <laughs> yep. Give us a synopsis and tell us how wrong we are. From, from horror master Stephen King comes his most thrill, ter- his most terror-filled tale yet. Gates Falls, Maine. When an abandoned textile mill is reopened, several employees meet mysterious deaths. The link between the killings all occurred between the hours of 11 p.m. and 7 a.m., the graveyard shift. The sadistic mill foreman, Stephen mocked, has chosen a group to clean up the mill's rat-infested basement. But what the workers find is a subterranean maze of tunnels leading to the cemetery and an unimaginable horror that comes alive in the dead of night. Okay. Rated R. Kind of <laughs> lost me as a kid after you said textile mill. I, you know, I think if I would have read this back as a kid, which I probably did, uh, this, because... The cover really doesn't give much away here, so I might have read the back of this one. I think I would have been hooked with Maze to the Cemetery. Okay. I think that's all I need. And I would be like, yep, in. I'm going to see some skeletons and some rotten bodies. I'm in. <laughs> but what do we get? We get rats. We get rats. This is this is a killer rat movie. Uh, we And it's funny because all the images on the back here, we get Brad Dorif, who's has basically a cameo in the movie. Stephen mocked yelling at one of the employees. And then our lead, who is the returning David Andrews from Cherry 2000. You can also go back and watch that or listen to us talk about that one. Wow, what we've hit two of them now. Clear and Present <laughs> Danger and t- Cherry 2000. We're going to find all these little connections uh, as we keep going on here. <laughs> um, and then we've got one little blurb at the top here. It just says, Stephen King took you to the edge with The Shining and Pet Cemetery. This time he pushes you over. Oh, it's not no. a critic review, though. It's just like a little blurb they stuck at the top. And that's what we got for the cover. Yeah, great cover. Uh, I don't know about the synopsis and production shots. With the production shots, you probably wanted to pull someone in with either a half-naked lady or someone dying. 
Yeah, that like. Let's be honest. We're selling this to teenage boys mostly. Right. This is the '90s. This is this is the audience at the time. So we got like a sweaty dude on the back, a dude yelling at a girl, and Brad Dorf. I think Brad Dorf is the only thing that's gonna hook like a horror fan kid. Yeah, it's a sausage party on the back of this. Yeah. It's, uh, all right. Well, let's get into popping this tape in. Did we get any trailers? Nope. We just get. The graveyard shift. <laughs> it goes right into it. So feature presentation. And now, our feature presentation. This movie starts out slow. Uh, so when I, we're explaining this, we're not going to go scene by scene. But we're just going to give you an overview. Uh, it does have a good cold open where it starts off in the textile mill. And this guy is basically by himself playing a game with the rats. Yes. And then one of the rats pisses on a chair, so he takes it and throws it in the cotton grinder? Yeah. And I was kind of mad when he killed the rat. I don't know why, though. It's a rat. I don't care. Well, it's still an animal. It's still a helpless animal being, you know, threatened by an overly aggressive dude. Like, (laughs) yeah. It still sucks. And then something big comes down the stairs, and we don't get to see it. And essentially shoves him into the cotton grinder. Right, and he gets destroyed. So you assume it's someone with a vendetta. I kind of actually immediately got that this was a monster movie. Really? Yes, I think it was the presence of the rats. I don't know why. Oh man, I did not get it at all. I was, I was like, like oh. this is a monster movie. It's, it's going to be a monster movie where, yeah, the monster pushes people into... Uh, mills instead of tearing them apart with its bare hands but i kind of figured it would be a monster movie i thought i was thinking it was going to be more of a giant rat than what we get well we'll talk about it when we get there i guess (laughs) yeah i do get lost after this now did the textile mill close because of that death yes and then we go into the future a little reopening yes and they need the cleanup crew to not not okay. nothing about the death, but the cleanup crew is coming in then to clean out the basement, which is where the rats are all coming from. Yeah, and David Andrews, who plays, is it John? It's a very generic name, isn't it? He's a very generic character yeah. in the film. Yeah, John Hall is his character's name, and David Andrews is a drifter, a professional working drifter, who comes into town and takes a job at the mill... Because he needs money. He's desperate. Yeah, he's just like traveling, needs to work, takes the job, and then gets shoved into the basically graveyard shift basement cleaning job that nobody wants. Yeah, and we meet a cast of characters at the diner that all work. I don't know any of their names. They're just a bunch of shitheads. Yeah, this this is one of the first sort of indicators that this is trying to be Stephen King or doing a Stephen King thing. We have a whole bevy of characters and yeah they're all shitty they all work at the mill and they're all shitty and they all shit on david andrews and then they there's of course the girl love interest who also works there but for the most part it's all a bunch of assholes and yeah they of course come together they bond and shit when they are cleaning down there but yeah it's it's very stephen king just like way too many characters to start the movie off with yeah, and none of them are subtle. He does not do subtle. All these characters are over the top. Every book you read of his, except his really good ones, he just, like, too much. Yeah, he likes a lot. He's, it's, 
he likes filling filling the space. He likes really building the town or building the set that you're in. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I appreciate that. But yeah, sometimes it can be a little much. I think it works better in like 10-hour miniseries. Yeah, when you can spend the time with the yeah. characters. Yeah. But uh, we find the foreman, which his name is Warwick, uh, played by Stephen Mott, who is chewing scenery. Holy shit, this guy is my number two favorite character in this <laughs> yeah he's he's really fun to watch in this and i've seen he's totally an 80s 90s character actor i've seen this guy in a ton of stuff before but he's really fun here and i feel like i don't usually see him play this character and stuff so this was fun to watch no i found him the most realistic compelling character the girl who is in this uh her name is kelly wolf yeah, Kelly Wolf, which still acts today. I, I, her name, her character's name is Jane. Okay. Yeah, because I remember it's John and Jane. Woo. Yeah. Generic much? <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough. I, she was believable, but she was kind of just wasted. Yeah, she had nothing to do. Yeah. She's a good actress, but she just had nothing to do in this movie. Well, we'll get into later on more of like the problems with the flat characters. But just introducing, and then we also get Brad Dwarf as the exterminator, who is my favorite character, because Brad Dwarf gets like maybe 15 minutes of screen time, that's being generous, and he's going all out. He has a scene where he's talking about the Vietnam, uh, was it Vietnam? Anyway, someone was tortured and killed with a rat, and he is just going all out. He's like crying. As yeah. he's telling the story, he's just acting his ass off. Yeah, this is this is a great scene, and that that scene you're talking about is also probably one of the most Stephen King moments because they always in a Stephen King movie or book or whatever, somebody always tells a story that's extraordinarily gruesome and horrifying, and this is that moment in this movie. <laughs> well, they don't show it, no, and they tell it, which usually we're against, but in the storytelling was. The way he told it, the way his character was just fully immersed into the story, it felt real, and I imagined it, and I was like, fuck, that's fucked up, dude. They'd stake one of our boys to the ground, through his hands, through his feet, and stake him like Jesus. Then, they'd make the cut. Just above the abdomen. Now, this wasn't a fatal cut. This is merely an intra wound. Then, they get a rat. A real hungry rat. One that hadn't been feeding for about a week. And they put it on the wound. And they'd stick its nose down inside. And if the damn thing wasn't starving enough, they'd cover it with a flaming rice bowl. And let me tell you, that gray, black son of a bitch would have nowhere else to go but inside. And he'd he'd start to tunnel his way through, looking to put an end to that loud, beating sound that the human artichoke so warm, so juicy. Yeah, it works here. This is this is definitely a case of like you didn't have to show me this time. Like this yeah. one totally works on its own. 
my visuals were probably stronger than anything they could have made. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Doris' performance is so good here. I wouldn't want to cut away from that either. So Jane and John start to fall for each other? Take an interest in each other? I feel I, like I feel like there's no falling in love here. I think no. it's just like, well, I'm new in town, and I'm not the worst. And she's like, well, I'm here, here <laughs> and I guess we're going to get along. Well, we've got no choice, so let's buddy buddy together. I I don't understand why they didn't, uh, you know, start to at least canoodle a little, maybe get some kissies in there. I mean, if we're gonna have a love connection here, do it. Don't don't make it appear like they're gonna have a love connection, and then like, oh, we ran out of tape. Sorry, bye. Yeah, they just—it's like they added this love, um, I guess story plot line but then we're just not so not interested in it that they were just like i don't care what we do with this <laughs> like yeah. they just just totally it's there for the whole movie but they just don't really give it any sort of payoff to it whatsoever so the whole cast of characters basically come together in one night everyone has to work the graveyard shift the shitty shift i think they call it and they all come together to clean out the basement yeah um well and that's really what this story is because the first i'd say about 45 minutes of this is boring i mean it's it's a little rough to get through it's slow it's slow and it's a slow burn but at a couple points it's just it's dragging and i kind of wanted to click it off but i go you know what no i gotta stick with it (laughs) yeah no i i was fine with this one this one, I think, moved a little bit better for me than Children of the Corn did. However, reversed, the sort of payoff to this movie isn't as good as sort of the payoff to Children of the Corn, because at least Children of the Corn gets wacky. Like this, it gets a little wacky, because the monster is fucking ridiculous, but that's about it. Like, oh no, see, I thought this thing was a lot more wacky than Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn puts the wackiness in the middle of it, and then keeps going... This one just goes off the fucking deep end. Because <laughs> the whole time you're like, okay, what? obviously they start to show us that it's a monster. But we, we get all of them together. They find like a second basement. And then it just goes insane. Yeah. But we should probably tell more about Warwick. Warwick's a nasty character for a number of reasons. One, he's bribing inspectors to keep this place open. So you have that. Uh, he's forcing workers to work over the July 4th holiday, even though they are getting double pay. You have him womanizing, like using the female employees, basically promising them, uh, pay raises for Bowman and them and then not doing it. Yeah. But Jane refuses. Right. Jane's like the, you know, she's like, fuck you. Right. I only work here to have this nice car. And like... It also seems like in the town of Gates Falls, Maine, there really isn't much other work there either. Yeah. I, like everybody in the town works at the mill. That's what they do. So he can kind of just push them around. Uh, not to mention he blackmails uh, the exterminator played by Bad, Brad Dwarf. Is it Dwarf? Uh, sure. Dwarf? <laughs> Dur- dwarf? I, I just say Dwarf. I don't know if that's right or not. I just say Dwarf. Anyway, Brad, our best friend, first name basis. Yes, call in. Say hey. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he gets blackmailed. And then he goes off into a graveyard 
and dies. I don't quite understand that part. That seemed odd. Well, I think he doesn't he get does it is it the rats that attack him? Is it the monster don't that know. gets him? They don't show it. Oh, they don't show it? Okay. Well, because uh he's in a graveyard and all the graves start to sink, kind of like uh quicksand earthquake underneath him. Yeah, like the, and the then, mud is kind of, yeah. And then a giant grave crushes him. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I, I don't know it, who was doing it. I, I think it was nature. <laughs> I think nature I killed him. <laughs> I don't know. It was very odd. Yeah, I, f- I totally forgot. I knew he died very early on in the movie. It's, this is probably at like the 40-minute mark or whatever, the halfway yeah. point in the movie. Um, I knew he died early on, but I could not remember even how. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was odd. Um, so if you're going into this movie, you're not going to get enough Red Dwarf, Dwarf, whatever, Brad... Uh, the exterminator needed to be a character that was used more. Hell, I kind of wish they would have made this movie the exterminator and John and Jane like hunting down the rats. That's what it should have been. Yeah, they, they had know. a great. I feel like maybe on the page the character wasn't that great, and they were just like, "We'll oh, kill him." And then they got Brad Dorf, and they were like, "Fuck, like this is good." And then they're like, "Well, we'll stretch it as long as we can, but we just got nothing for him to do at the end." Yeah. And they're like, "All right, okay." <laughs> So, anyway, now we'll get into the mine. Uh, they're all cleaning it, or I should say the textile mill, not the mine. Damn it. It looks like a miner <laughs> <Yeah>. movie. <laughs> so, they find a second basement in the basement. We go down. One of the characters immediately breaks the stairs, falls into the water, and gets sucked down by something. Yes. That was actually, I like that. Yeah, that was a good scene. Yeah, that was what I came to watch in this. Uh, kind of jalzy, like you don't you don't know what's happening yeah. quite underneath the the water, uh, and then they slowly start to die off character by character pretty quickly. Well, I guess they don't slowly die off; they quickly start to die off. Yeah, we we eliminate through, and I, we should also mention that uh, despite the fact that Stephen Mock has this crew working with this shitty graveyard shift, he's there too. Yeah, he's, he's working with them. Which is actually surprising, because usually for these Stephen King awful authority figures, he wouldn't be there. <laughs> like, no. he would be at home while these guys were working, but he's actually there, so that, to his credit, as shitty of a human of being as he is, at least he's there with the crew. <laughs> yeah, but really the only reason he goes down in the second basement is they think there's going to be, you know, valuables down there. Right. And, and it uh, turns out it just leads to the cemetery. <laughs> yeah. And John kind of like, like well, you're the big tough guy, the big smart one. You go first. And I'm like, uh, you're kind of telegraphing this reverse psychology. I was like, I get it. I do, whatever. <laughs> I don't even know if it's reverse psychology. Uh, so they go down there. Everyone starts to die. And then we get revealed that it is some type of giant bat. Not rat bat (laughs) why no clue (laughs) it is it is somewhat rat like in the face but it is a giant bat wings and all yeah i don't know what the fuck they're doing with it i appreciate them making this model it is gigantic yeah it's enormous like it's too it's almost too blocky for it to be able to move well with it when they fully reveal it or whatever but it is massive, so it is kind of cool to see how big they built this thing. Yeah, it just, it doesn't, there's two things, like one, it's probably too big, you probably should have thought about that, we're not going to be able to get this thing to work, 
And two, why the fuck is it a bat? Yeah, it's a bat for some reason, not a rat. I was waiting for this to be... Every time I watch this movie, I've seen this movie, it's probably the fourth time I've seen this movie, but it's it's big gaps apart. Every time I see this movie, I think it's going to be a rat monster, and I'm like, oh fuck, it's a bat thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Warwick goes kind of crazy at the very end. He takes a bunch of, I don't know, coal or grease and like spreads it over his face and, he, and, like, the camera's zooming in on him, and he's just like, we gotta take this thing out. And he just goes crazy, and he gets into a huge fight with John for some reason, and then Jane helps John, and then Warwick just fucking stabs Jane. And yeah. she's dead. We spent all this time trying to build up these two characters, John and Jane, and then you just kill her like that? But I had no feelings where I was like, well, okay, that it's seems like, like a waste. It seems more like, yeah, it feels more like you're saying ballsy move movie, but I don't care. Like, it's like, yeah. I don't care about this character, but I'm like, I kind of still appreciate the fact that like, they were like going to kill a main character in like the final 10 minutes here. But, but I don't care. <laughs> but I don't have an emotional connection. Right. Because I feel like the only thing I know about her was she had a car and she was stuck in this town. Yeah. That's it. That's all we know. She's probably trying to get out of the town. She's just working till she can. Probably going to go to school. That's yeah. It. That's it. It's just one I, of those one-dimensional characters. I, I you got to have your, your first two. If, you know, if you're one and two are going to lead this movie. You can't have him be that one-dimensional. It's just not going to work. Right. Now, if you would have told me she had a plan to go to school, she was saving up this money, but she's having a hard time saving up money because, I don't know, insert that her mom is dying from leukemia or, I don't know, something. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I feel for you. But on the other side, you had John, which was way too blank. Holy shit. Yeah, this kind of has the, like, they live type thing with yeah roddy piper's character also named john who is drifting looking for work no past no story but it works for that movie because of what that movie's about well, piper this, this is, and piper gives an amazing yeah. performance I mean, piper's so charismatic you don't care it doesn't know matter about him but like yeah this guy's so blank and there's no real reason for it yeah um, i was i was wondering if his like character was suffering from some kind of ptsd from seeing some action but they don't really tell us that and matt is yawning right now as we're talking about this film much much like i did as i watched the film uh that's why i said like it was a rough one to get through at times it is it's i i think i i said when i gave you the movie back i said don't watch it before you go to bed it's not bad but it will put you to sleep (laughs) yeah it's it's just got too much negative against it. But anyway, John chases down Warwick, but Warwick runs into the bat, and the bat kills him. That Now, that one I appreciate. I was like, yeah, I yeah, was glad this he the, died. This is the villain you've built up the whole movie. Yeah, so we want to see him get eaten by the bat monster. And then John goes back upstairs next to the cotton grinder from the very beginning of the film, and the basic giant bat kind of like almost corners him. But earlier in the film, we saw that John tries to kill rats with a Diet Pepsi can and a slingshot. So, he takes the Diet Pepsi can and slingshot, 
and fires it at the button to turn on the cotton grinder. The tail of the rat bat gets caught in the grinder, and then we get some gory mush. <laughs> yeah, it gets decimated. It gets destroyed into a pile of goo. Yeah, this movie was like had to have been sponsored by Diet Pepsi because they're fucking everywhere in this movie it's yeah not, they were in the cafe too yeah when they're in the when they're in the little diner area that's what everybody's drinking is just diet pepsi <laughs> paramount and diet pepsi the the combination that will sell graveyard shift yeah right like just like just came together for this movie for some reason they're like we did pet cemetery last year it worked really well come on pepsi help us out <laughs> <laughs> well what about regular pepsi hell no only diet <laughs> yeah well, no, they probably came to Pepsi, and Pepsi was like, we're really trying to push this diet thing right now. <laughs> if we could just stick those in every single place you can in this movie, that would be great. It's like, oh, we'll just have them slingshot the cans. Perfect. Here's your sponsorship money. <laughs> we were going to use rocks, but... <laughs> uh, so, it was it had its moments, but for the most part, I would say this film's... I wouldn't recommend it. If you're going to see a Stephen King film... And you can only see, like, a handful? Like, this isn't it. Yeah, there's better ones, and then there's also, like, better bad ones, too. Like, like Lawnmower Man is fucking bonkers. Yeah. Mangler is bonkers. Like, if you're going to go for, like, a bad Stephen King adaptation, go for one of those. What's then... the Cat People one? Uh, giant Sleepwalkers. Cat... Yeah, Sleepwalkers. Sleepwalkers is, is super fun. Tommy Knockers, Tommy the TV Knockers movie. Good. Yeah. All of those go for instead of this one. And then, obviously, there's the good... You know, the carries, the Pet cemeteries, the Shinings, all those. But this one just falls right in the middle of everything. It's not it's not that bad, but it's also not that good. I own it. I'll watch it again in 10 years, but that's yeah. about it. You know, like, it's fine. It's a good time waster, I guess. But don't watch it at night because it'll put you to sleep. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Like, I'm, I'm leaning more towards positive as I typically do, but it's just not anything that special either yeah it, it does remind me a lot in the children in the corn department of it's just got too much downtime yes it's focusing on stuff that this movie shouldn't be focusing on and i think that has something to do with these writers taking a short story and trying to fill it and trying to probably create characters that they think stephen king would create right they feel very prototypical stephen king they are doing the Stephen King thing by putting in all the characters, but they are forgetting to kind of deliver on the horror. Because <laughs> this movie's not scary. That's the thing. It's got some good gore. The creature's kind of so bizarre you have to look at it. And it's got some good death scenes, but it is not scary ever. No. It does give us some a good amount of blood splatters, but not... So, I don't recommend it, uh, Matt kind of i gently uh, recommend it i guess like if you're gonna watch it if you're like i'm curious do it it's worse it's a perfect it's the magic runtime it's 88 minutes so it will move but but it's it's 88 minutes that feels like over 100 minutes yeah it it, uh the first 40 minutes are a little rough to get through but nevertheless you could do a lot worse it's fine whatever (laughs) that's how i feel about this movie (laughs) gotcha let's move on to the museum the 
This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. All right, this is the part of the episode where we go out like Indiana Jones and bring something back to put in the museum. Good or bad, you know how it works. And if you don't, go in the past and watch our other episodes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we're just we're just picking things that we like from the movie to save in our little museum of nerddom. Uh, I do have something positive, unlike Children of the Corn. I'm going to put it in the Exterminator and Warwick at the same time. I, I, I can't, it's... Because it's both of them for their dialogue. It's yeah. how they say their dialogue. They have, so, like, the Warwick has such kind of like a draw. Putting it plainly, Mr. Hall, you're a drifter. And I get no guarantees with a drifter. You spend some time at Munson Textile. You ever run the pickup? And you also know it's a one-man operation. This mill depends on that machine. And what's left of Gates Falls depends on this mill. Now, we don't do better than minimum to start. Four weeks before the union comes knocking at your door. You're still interested. All right, then. That's it. Except for the hours. Because of the heat, we only run that sucker through the night. 11 to 7. The graveyard shift. Yeah, he's doing like this... New England, almost like this, like, for lack of a better word, like this New England hick accent, kind of, you know? Like, it's very weird. I Yeah, I can't actually put into words how... You just... I'll play a clip of them. And then we have Brad Durf, Mr. Bradley. Um, <laughs> that's what his friends call him, his close friends, Mr. Yes. Bradley. Yes. So us, his best friends. He's just great. He's great in almost every role he's ever played. He was probably great in like his high school plays. I mean, that's how just talented he is. I mean, his first movie was Cuckoo's Nest, and he got the Oscar nom for it. So. Yeah, show off. <laughs> show off. You know what? No, I'm just going to go with Warwick. Brad gets enough. We're going to put him in and out. We're going to go with Warwick. All right. Stephen Mocked making his way into our museum this uh, this month. I'm going to go ahead and put in uh, a scene we talked about briefly, but the opening scene sets up a much better movie <laughs> than we get. And I really like this opening scene. It's very reminiscent of the opening scene in Mangler, where somebody falls into a laundry slash cotton mill thing and gets demolished. But the fact we don't see the creature, we're not really sure what's going on. It's dirty. It's gross. There's rats everywhere. I'm like, ooh, this could be kind of like a cool, gross movie. And the, there's a lot of blood when he dies. It's a cool opening scene. I really like this opening scene a lot. I think I put... Did I put the opening scene of Children of the Corn in the... Or did I put a person in? No, you put the opening scene with the, the creepy Jacob, was it? How he stares at him and that whole... Yeah. So again, another really good opening scene. Like, cold open scene from a Stephen King adaptation here. Yes, I agree. Both of these movies, though, you know, Children of the Corn, Graveyard Shift, cold opening is good. Yes, I'm hooked. Like, I'm ready to watch this movie after the opening scene, and then the air comes out. You know, and then it's like... <laughs> and then I'm, then I'm just, like, sunk into the couch, just kind of waiting for the monster to show up. Let's see. What are we doing next week? Is that all we have to cover for this one? That's it. That's it? That's, I don't have anything else. <laughs> you see all my notes. Well, okay. Uh, we have some behind-the-scenes that are kind of lame. Um, it was filmed in... Harmony, Maine, at uh, the oldest 
uh, wool yarn mill in the United States. It was called Bartlett. Bartlett Yarns. Very creative. Nice. Uh, estimated that it was started way back in 1821. Uh, later, they renamed it Bachman after Stephen King's uh, pseudo name, Richard Bachman. Oh, nice. So all the history of all that yarn and wool being made... They're just like, fuck it. We'll just name it after Stephen King now. Yeah, we were in a Stephen King movie. We're just going to name it after Stephen King. <laughs> uh, it received poor reviews from almost every major critic and currently holds a 13% score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that's about where we're at for this movie. <laughs> this is not a critical darling. This is We, we talked about it early on. There's not going to be word of mouth for this. It just is an okay forgettable horror movie from the mm. 90s <laughs> i will point out that the end credits oh yes thank you for were saying very this. weird i love this was a very 90s trend and this was one of the earlier examples of such the sound bite end song where they use sound clips from the movie to basically make a song they put up the sound clips over the the yeah. beat or whatever and then make a soundbite song out of it for the entire end credits i love that i just wish it was on a better movie <laughs> i actually ended up listening to all of them because they're really weird uh, i mean i don't usually watch the entire end credits of these old vhs's but i did on this one because i was like what are they saying yeah it i love these sound clip uh uh, end credit songs and I you know I can I think of like Bride of Chucky is one of them that I can remember off the top of my head they kind of do it they do it in Return of Living Dead too They but they play an actual song and then have the mm. clips over you know I like it show's over yeah. so hard so juicy damn the graveyard shit that's a trend I'd like to see come back it's a fun, weird thing. I would like to do that maybe one day. Just put like sound clips over a little beat and call that the end song. I think that's fun. I would rather have a music video like we had in Robin Hood. <laughs> I mean, you know, we can't all have Brian Adams at the end. Uh, but yes, obviously I'd rather have that. But it's but still cool, different, I, weird choice. Yeah, I guess that can be the, the second. That's why, that's our second choice. Second choice yeah. is sound bite clips, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's all I got for this. So if we're gonna talk anymore, we're gonna be stretching this. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess we can just wrap this up and tell you guys to come back next week when we are talking about Salem's Lot, the movie. And if you're gonna watch it before we talk about it, watch the uh, hour and uh, fifty-one minute version, not the four-hour miniseries. Yes, if you watch the four-hour miniseries, good for you. But we're not that. We're not that We good. don't got time yeah. for that shit. So we're watching Salem's Lot, the movie. I don't think you can get the four-hour miniseries on VHS anyway. I think it only came out in v- uh, DVD. No, you can get it on VHS. Can you? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It's a double taper. It's a big, big box. Okay. Yeah, All it's right. a double tape like Titanic. You can get it. And, that, and the movie is a little harder to find, actually. So if you're seeking that out, this one's actually a little harder to find than the miniseries because if you're going to stream it, Voodoo, Amazon, all those, they all have just the four-hour miniseries. Okay, yeah. So, good luck. <laughs> yeah.
Yes, and uh, if you are, you are our hero, but you're also crazy. Yes, thanks for sticking with us and uh, seeking out weird movies with us. <laughs> Remember to rate and review us on iTunes. If you don't like iTunes, you can catch us on Podbean, Google Play, all the pod stuff. Pod universe. Find us, like us, subscribe, and review us and let us know what you think. Keep yeah. in touch with us. And don't forget, I was told this, don't forget that you can actually email us at analogjonestof at gmail.com. I was told that we never give out our email, so there you go. Yeah, email us. Maybe at four in the morning, one morning, I'll get stoned and write you a funny thing back. So, <laughs> no promises, though. <laughs> Someone's going to write us now. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, and remember to be kind. Rewind. Mr. Paris, set a course. Tep, tep, set a course. Tep, tep, set a course for the unstoppable Jack and Jen podcast in the impossible. Star Trek Voyager being the material. Wine is the vehicle just like milk for your cereal. Here we go, blast into the Delta Quadrant. Uncharted territory, but we're on it. So pour me another glass of Cabernet, cause it pairs with a different parts of the galaxy. Never in my life was a crew so brave. Never was a time that I liked rosé. But you learn something new each and every day. To explore new things is a Starfleet way. Podcast hailing from the Geekscape Nation. Talking Star Trek with the wine persuasion. So you want to live long and prosper fine? Then you better tune in to Seven of Wine. And this is Seven of Wine, where we review an episode of Star Trek Voyager and a bottle of wine at the same time. Show's over. Yeah. So hard, so juicy. Damn! The graveyard shit. Oh, God, this isn't bad. You got a problem? I ain't got a problem. You got a problem? I ain't got a problem. What's your problem, boy? The graveyard shit. No problem.
dummies on horses tonight. Not damn exterminators! So don't go telling me my opinion. Very funny. I'm laughing my ass off. Rats. No thanks. I. No thanks. Rat. Yeah. 